Hello everyone. Uh, today in our podcast, we have Mushtaq Bilal. Mushtaq Bilal is a Fulbright PhD candidate in the Department of Comparative Literature at Binghamton University, New York. He has written and published several papers on Pakistani literature. Interestingly, he has also served uh, in the Pakistani Navy for 16 years, and he is also a retired lieutenant commander. He has written a book called Pakistani Liter- Writing Pakistan, Conversations on Identity, Nationhood, and Fiction, where he interviews the Pakistani novelist to ask questions about how they actually ask questions how it how it is like to be an English language author in Pakistan. So thank you for being on this podcast, Mr. Mushtaq. Uh, it's an honor to have you here. Thank you. Thank you uh, very much um, for inviting me. I'm glad to be here. Okay. Uh, going back to Pakistan, uh, you, you, you spend a majority of your life there. Tell us about your early life and how serving in the Navy and uh, has shaped the experiences that uh, to, to a person like you, right? Um, serving in the Navy was kind of, you know, you can, I don't know how things are in India, but in Pakistan, uh, military service is sort of, is still considered, you know, um, a prestigious job, you know, it's considered something to be, you know, proud of and military is very powerful uh, as an institution inside Pakistan. Uh, military has ruled the country for, you know, more than half its, um, nearly half its existence. And then, you know, people like us who come from, you know, working class families, we, growing up, we didn't have, uh, you know, too many options, too many options to choose or, um, you know, too many places to go to. So um, my family couldn't afford to send me to college. So I decided, you know, uh, I have to do something about it. So I ended up in the Navy, you know, to, ge- to escape um, generational poverty. So that's, that's, the, that, that's the thing um, that I can, you know, that I can tell you, or I can use that as, as an instructive experience for me that, you know, uh, what I try to look, when I try to look at myself, what I try to do is I try to look at the kind of economic and, you know, the, the structures, the societal structures that shape my sort of outlook, you know, some of the outlook, some of, you know, some of your worldview, you, 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 you can develop on your own, but it's largely dictated by, you know, that's as far as my opinion is concerned, your uh, your worldview is dictated a lot to great extent by economic forces, societal structures, the political climate of your country. And so, um, yeah, that's it. You know, that's how I, I look at my myself and, you know, going into the Navy. Yeah, interesting. And uh, if you recount any experiences in serving the Navy that you can tell us that greatly shaped your perspective about life in general? Huh. Uh, the thing about the militaries is that, you know, militaries think in terms of very regimented, you know, um, routines, you know, military has, uh, Sigmund Freud has a very, you know, really great essay on, on group psychology in which he talks about the military and and the church maybe 
I don't know, uh, but military, I'm, I'm sure of that he talks about. So it's, it's sort of a group psychological thing that, you know, you have to sort of fit in the group. And that fitting in the group, in any group is kind of, you know, it, it's, it's a hard thing for me to do. You know, I have to, uh, I find it difficult to fit in, you know, the, in, in the group. And the group identity, you have to re realize and recognize the fact that any group identity is sort of performative. You have to perform that group identity. Uh, say you're, you two are Indian, you know, young Indian males. Now, young Indian male has a, has a performance. You have to perform yourself as a young Indian male. You know, if you don't perform as, say, uh, as a male, if you start wearing, say, heels the next day, if I start wearing heels tomorrow, so the male performance that I have been enacting for the last, you know, 30, 40 years of my life, uh, that male performance will break down immediately the moment I wear, you know, heels or I put on lipstick. So this is the thing that about, this is the thing that we have to keep in mind about any identity identity that, that it's it's performative and with performance it's very anxious you know any identity is inherently anxious anxious of itself anxious of other identities so so this is um, what I can tell you about my um, my experience with the Navy that it was kind of you know it's it's not the Pakistan Navy it's the US Navy it's it would be the Indian Navy Indian and Pakistan navies um used to be the same Royal Indian Navy before 1947 and I used to work in the history um history department of the Navy and I uh and I read quite a bit about you know the Royal Navy's history Indian Navy's history and and of course, Pakistan Navy's history. So yeah, that's how it is. It's like any other Navy, any other military. Uh, and you know, it tells you to, um, it asks of you to perform a certain identity. And then it's up to you if you feel how comfortable you feel performing that identity. Um, that was very interesting to hear. It, it is a very different perspective from uh, what we have been going on over here. And I'm sure it, it must have been um, really hard for you. Serving in the military. Yeah, well, it's not hard. It's, you know, you, you go there, you, you know, once you are inside something, then you try to come up with strategies to, you know, cope with the situation as best as you can. And, okay. you know, um, when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. Sure. Um, so I have a, a so it, it 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 is a very basic question. So uh, if you could turn back time and talk to your eighteen year old or teenager self, what um, sort of advice uh, would you be willing to give him or her to shape uh, that person into a better version of you? Ah, huh, that's a good question. Actually, uh, not many people have asked about it but um so let me answer it in a in a roundabout way so, so one one of the things that i keep telling my son hmm. and bharat teaches hamadan so he 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 is familiar with uh, with hamadan a bit so if if i could tell myself my younger self one thing it would be not to be insecure about yourself not to be uh 
like one of the things that I tell Hamadan is that you don't have to prove anything to anybody. You are a perfectly respectable, lovable human being, and you don't have to prove yourself anything to anybody. You don't have to do anything to prove yourself. You don't have to say that um, I'm the best in the class or you know, in the classroom or in among friends or to anybody at all in life. Because this is the this this is a very, you know, this is a vicious cycle that once you start proving yourself to others, you've already let others define yourself. So, you know, your 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 definition of self is becomes defensive, reactionary. Yeah. And and that's a very, very dangerous thing. Um, that's a very dangerous and a very insecure place to be in mentally. So uh, it, it took me a lot of time, actually, I, and I still feel insecure on 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 many um, in in many terms in, for various reasons. Because you know, um, when I came here, when I joined the grad school, it was in the first semester of my grad school that one of my professors said, "Mustaq, you know what?" I told him that you know I I I wanted to write a paper on you know this, and I wanted to write such a grand paper, and it would be this, and blah blah blah. And he said, "Mustaq." You know what? You don't have to prove yourself that you're smart. You're smart. You're in the program. You're smart. Everybody knows that. So I and that day I realized, oh wow, this is a very diff different perspective. So, so I don't know about the kind of you know um, brought up you have had in Kanpur, India, but the kind of brought up I had was very sort of. Um, there, you know, you have to prove that you're a good boy. You have to be, you know, you have to uh, secure uh, good grades in school. You have to be, you know, you have to look um, a certain way. You have to get your hair cut on time. And, you know, and I, I realized this very, very recently, a couple, a few months ago, that going to a barber shop is a very anxious experience for me. You know, I, I get so anxious, I get so anxious every time I go to a barber shop that it's just, you know, my, um, I go to a barber shop, I wait there, and the moment when my turn comes to get a haircut, there is this immediate, you know, urge in me to just run away from the shop. I, I get so anxious. Mm -hmm. It's so much anxiety-inducing you know, uh, experience of just getting a haircut. And, you know, if you look at it, I mean, you, you could say, and what's a big deal about getting a haircut? But, you know, it's like the kind of experiences that, you know, I, I faced or I had uh, growing up, somehow anxiety got associated with that, uh, going, to, mm, going to get a haircut experience. So this is what I'll tell you. I'll tell myself, I'll tell you, I'll tell my son, I'll tell any young person, uh, I'll tell my colleagues that you don't have to prove yourself to anybody. Don't worry about proving yourself. Just do your thing. Just do what makes sense to you. You know, mm -hmm. you don't have to be like, you know, I want to do this because I'm not using that, you know, you should do something that makes you happy because I don't know what the hell happiness is. <laughs> but, you know, do do whatever makes sense to you. Okay. And try to do, try to do like, when we were young, and I'm sure when, you know, in teenage, in te uh, when one is a teenager, there's a lot of mm, pressure on people. Um, on men, there is a pressure that, you know, we have to look cool for girls. Girls want to look, you know, cool for boys. And 
So I would tell myself, I would tell my son that you don't have to look cool for anybody. If people cannot accept you for what you are, <laughs> it's not worth it. The effort is not worth it. Yeah. Um, so I absolutely agree with you. And um, uh, so as far as what I've heard from you, uh, I don't think you're very aware about like what our uh, sort of uh, upbringing was. So um, from my perspective, it's basically uh, the same as what you just said right now. It's absolutely the same. Uh, everyone is um, like uh, aiming for the uh, top spot, aiming for like absolute perfection. And so um, it does uh, get like uh, bad at some points. But um, overall, I think everything is getting uh, a, a lot better as more fields are opening for students. And uh, uh, people can actually do what they're interested in because um, in school also earlier, uh, there were um, like only a limited amount of uh, fields that you could follow, like maths, mm -hmm. physics, commerce and all. But now they are um, also uh, opening up to economics, arts, fashion designing, and um, uh, hopefully many more to come. Hmm. Yeah, in India's economy is a lot more, uh, I would say, I, I, I don't know about, you know, I've never been to India and, you know, the only oh. friends that I have here in grad school, um, they've been out of India for the last, you know, five, six years. Um, but looking at the, the kind of, the way Indian economy, um, the Indian economy is developing or the Indian economy is positioning itself, it's a lot different than it is in Pakistan. In Pakistan, mm. the economy is very, very, it works. Now, I, I'm no economist. I can't, you know, on a good day, I can't even spell economy correctly. But in, in Pakistan, things are very, very different, you know. Um, and and then I don't know if it's it's sensible to talk about all of India as one economy, you know, every every yeah. state would have its own economy, and you know, within every state, every district, and within the districts, you know, every city would have its own thing. So, so I, I would just say that you have to find your own self. You know, you have to find what what is it that you want to do. You know, oh. without proving it to others. You know, without telling others that you know what um, I'm doing it so that uh, so that my interviewer in that company would look at it and see that, oh, wow, Mushtaq is such a cool man, you know, he's such a cool worker. No, you, you have to, coolness would come from, from the kind of work that you do, you know, coolness is not something that um, you can achieve. So, uh, and that's why, you know, so if I, if I could put it in, in, in Bollywood terms. No, so, you know, at the end of the, yeah, at the end of the day, you, you have to become a version of an idiot, like in Three Idiots movie. Of course, it's a very stylized kind of, you know, take, mm -hmm. but then you have to realize it's, it's a Bollywood, you know, masala film. So, but you have to be, you have to um, be willing to become, you know, that kind of idiot. You have to tell yourself, you know what, this is what I want to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, give me one second. I think Bharat wants to speak. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So that's very interesting and very, very provocative to hear that 
uh, the experience that you shared. And I think one of the things is that, uh, as you said, that you have to follow exactly what you want to do. And I think our generation is kind of blessed for the sort of environment we got uh, in terms of the internet uh, that we are able to explore different types of fields and uh, maybe actually absolutely learn everything uh, from the, our living room. And uh, I guess I don't think so that uh, that you have many restrictions in Pakistan or India, or maybe any person living in Africa as well. I think with the advent of internet, uh, it's all sort of connected and uh, maybe like everyone can be whatever they want to be and practically basically because earlier you cannot do that right i mean in a person living in india cannot like 50 in 50s maybe he cannot dream to be something that he wants to right? yeah um, I, I i would answer it in two ways so you know one thing is that one thing, and this is the thing, this, that's very important. This is what I tell myself. This is what I tell my, my son. Uh, he's a heterosexual male. So, you know, this is what I'm a heterosexual male. So I tell him this kind of perspective. This, this is the thing that I tell my students. One of the things is that you have to recognize your own privilege. You know, this is one of the foremost things that you can do to become to become a decent human being in my, you know, in, 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 in my terms, in the, the kind of terms that I have set for myself, you know. And this is the thing that I tell my Hamadan also, that freedom, you know, there are a lot of people who would say freedom. Freedom means to do freedom, to do anything. And so I tell them, tell him that freedom is the freedom to choose restrictions for your own self. Freedom is not like, I'm free to do anything. I'm free to go and, you know, become a pain in the ass for, you know, my neighborhood. No, there's not freedom. Freedom is that I, I'm free to choose the restrictions that I, uh, I can apply on myself. And once I've chosen those laws or those rules, and then I have to live by those laws. But of course, I'm free to choose my laws. You know, it's like India chose its constitution. India made up its constitution and now India is bound by that, that same constitution. You can of course go back and change the constitution, but then you have to follow the changed constitution. And so this is, you know, this is what I try to re remind myself that what you have to do is you have to be aware of your own privilege. So how do we do that? So you can, you can look at it that, you know, in terms of in terms of sexuality, in terms of gender, I'm a privileged human being because I'm male. So I may have a lot of problems, but none of those problems, like 99% of those problems would not be because of my gender. You know, I may have problems, but you know, a woman will, a woman can have problems and will have problems in our world, in India, Pakistan, in the US, just because of the fact that she's born a woman. Then I'm a straight male, so I won't have, I will have problems, but I won't have problems just because of my sexuality. But if there's a homosexual man in India or a homosexual woman in India or Pakistan, or even here in the US, they are going to face problems just because of the way they are, just because of the way their sexual, the way their sexuality is. So, and then, you know, you have to, you can, you can look at, look at privilege in terms of race, you can look at privilege in terms of access to internet, the way you said. 
you can look at in terms of geography. So I, I, I'm sitting here in New York and there, is, there are certain benefits that I can, I can enjoy without, you know, without a second thought about it. You know, like I can enjoy high-speed internet just because of the way, just because of the fact where I am, isn't it? And so, I, and my colleagues in Pakistan cannot enjoy this, this, this high-speed internet, you know? So this is what we have to recognize that even when we are, we may be, we may have the kind of options that we may have, others in similar situations, in similar, um, age groups may not have the same kind of, you know, um, privileges. And so it's, it's really hard to reckon with your, you know, to recognize your own privilege because privilege is like, is, it's like the air you breathe. You don't notice it. You're breathing it, you know, like 24 hours a day. And you only recognize your privilege once it's taken away from you. Once you realize that, you know, you're you don't have that kind of privilege. And then you realize, oh, okay. So, you know, I had never thought about that. You know? Uh, so this is what you have to recognize in terms of internet, in terms of uh, technology, in terms of, um, in terms of anything. Like if an app is developed, say a new app comes up. So the new app is, only those people would those um, people would be able to use that app who already have a smartphone. So what if I don't have a smartphone? How helpful will that educational app be for somebody like me who doesn't have access to a smartphone or internet or you know even 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 uh, if you go right down to it, even people who can't read. And so we have to recognize that there are like layers of privilege and, you know, different axes of privilege. And do we recognize our own privilege when we talk about it? Or when we, when we talk about anything, do we recognize our own privilege? So that's, that's very, very important for me. And this is what I tell my students that if I can make you aware of your own privilege, uh, during this semester, then I would have done my job. But if I fail to do that, and you even if you get an A, then you know that that just I I failed my job. Uh, I would like to uh, agree with you on this point. Uh, sometimes you and I feel like I have taken my privilege for granted, having internet, uh, a twenty four seven power, uh, ACs and all. So um, yeah, it uh, it uh, it's like a journey in itself to uh, uh, discover your own privilege, and you do. And uh, so when it is taken away from you, I think that is the time that you, you will realize its actual worth. Um, but yeah, then so you know the, the the thing here is that once you recognize your privilege, you don't have to feel ashamed of your privilege you you don't yeah. you can you know you can't say that oh you know what i'm a i'm a heterosexual male so you know i'm so ashamed of uh, of the kind of things um, heterosexual males have done to people of uh, you know uh, non binary sexuality or whatever you know non binary genders you can't do that that's yeah. another trap you know mm -hmm. you, you you that's you cannot 
seek salvation for somebody else's sins, isn't it? Uh, so, uh, but then again, you have to recognize that you, even then, you have to recognize that you still have that kind of privilege. So it's kind of very, very, it's it's a tough balancing act. Uh, so I, so from what you just said, so I made like a certain set of uh, um, inferences from that. So I think uh, what you tried to uh, say right now is that you 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 should not feel accountable for your privilege, uh, but um, sorry, uh, you you should not feel accountable for what. Uh, different people have done who have the same privilege as you uh, is that right or yeah what i'm saying is that you have to accountable i don't see if we can use that word here or you know i would prefer not to use it but what i i would please I do would correct say, me if i'm wrong yeah, I, I would say that if there have been injustices by heterosexual men in the past, it doesn't yeah. mean I have to feel ashamed of it. You know? Okay. I do have to feel ashamed of it if I have been part of the, those injustices. Okay. See what I mean? Yeah. But the, the problem here is that even when I have not been a part of those injustices, there is still a privilege, privilege that I enjoy because of those historical injustices. So it's kind mm -hmm. of a little complex thing that you sort of you try to process it on your own and then you come to terms with it on your own you know okay so my 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 own idea is that one must recognize their own privilege it humbles you and when you recognize your own privilege the only then will you be able to do something that is inclusive you know, that is, you know, oh, sorry, that is um, democratic or that is accessible for everybody, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and that makes a lot I of economic sense to me. That's, um, that's so interesting about, about privilege that you such said. And one of the very interesting things that I think about privilege is that, do you think that the lo a lot of suffering uh, can be removed or can be eliminated if people recognize their privilege or they can they can actually be totally uh, feeling uh, feel gratitude towards what they have and to to compare to what they don't have do you think is, is that a problem in today's age or yeah i i would agree to the first part that you know it would be a lot more you know we the world would be a lot more uh, a lot better and you know if people around us would recognize if we recognized to start with if we recognized our own privilege and you know um if we if we come to terms with it to become a better sort of you know like if you try to be a better version of manav you know, or a better version of Bharat, or if I try to be a better version of Mushtaq. And that, I, to my mind, can only happen once you recognize what kind of privileges that you have. Even if you decide that, you know what, I'm not going to do anything about, or I cannot do anything about other people who don't have that kind of privilege. Now, if you ask me, I, what can I do for people? Um, say 
who are living in a small town in Pakistan. What can I do sitting here? I can't do anything. I, I mean, I can't. I don't have the kind of money to give them to you know. Um, I can't support them financially. I can't support them, you know, socially. What can I do? I, I can't do anything, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And so, but what I can do is I can recognize that when I talk about the world, when I talk about, when I look at the world, when I talk to Hamadan, what I can do is I can recognize my own privilege that, you know, yes, I worked hard. Yes, um, I did these many things, but then again, I had certain privileges to, to that enabled me to do those things. Okay. Uh, you have any questions you want to go for Bharat or do you mind if I ask one? Sure, go, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so um, uh, as you said, you moved from uh, uh, Pakistan to the States. So as uh, both me and Bharat are planning to move abroad next year. Uh, what sort of um, advice would you like to give us? So I came here to, to go to grad school. Uh, now, I don't know how undergrad works here or how you'll be able uh, to go. So um, uh, if you can like uh, 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 answer this question from a more general perspective, as opposed to answering it from like uh, school to undergrad, that would also be very helpful. Yeah, one thing I would say is that you can look around yourself around in your area, Kanpur. People who know people, there would be there would certainly be a lot of people, young people who would have uh, whose parents or colleagues or brothers, elder brothers, sisters, or friends of friends had been to the U.S. or they did their undergrad from the U.S. So you can go and you know figure out or try to ask those people you know what were the procedures that you had uh, followed, or the other thing. One thing that I know of is that a lot of Indian students who come here in the in Binghamton University for their undergrad, they um, they they are able to take student loans from Indian banks. So that's a very good thing. You know, you can take a loan from, from a bank and, you know, pay your fee here, even if you don't get a scholarship or if you don't get, you know, funding because at undergrad level, getting funding is, is very, very uh, tricky. The other thing is that you can think about going to um, a state school or you can think about going to a school that doesn't cost an arm and a leg, you know. If you go to Harvard, Harvard's one semester would be like, 50 to 60 grand, you know. And so it will be like, you know, if you are doing eight semesters, four years of uh, undergrad, uh, you're going to end up with, you know, four to $500,000 of, you know, of loan, student loans. And so I don't know how you'll pay back. I, I'm sure a lot of people take loans, that kind of loans and, you know, they're able to pay back. But I also know, uh, and I've read about many people who are, who who get stuck with you know for the for the next 10, 20 years with student loans. So you can think about these things, and then you can go and talk to people who um, who who applied, who got rejected, who got accepted, why they got accepted, why they got rejected. Another thing that you can do is you can um, like say you 
you want to go to Binghamton University or you want to go to say Princeton or Harvard. Every US, every college here in the US has an Indian students um, organization or association. Um, we used to have here, we, we had here Indian students association previously and then they started calling themselves Hindu students association. So you can, you can talk to those, you know, you can just shoot them an email uh their office um their uh, their staff changes every year so you can just write to them and you know that we're trying to apply we're thinking about applying so you know if you could give us any tips that that that's one way to do to go about it then uh, for you for u.s colleges i think you have to take something uh, called sats yeah um we have to give the SATs. Yeah, so you have to, um, you can prepare for uh, for SAT exam and then, you know, you can get a good score. You, you, you'd know much better than I do. And then you have to keep in mind that the undergrad applications, they, um, they require you to write an essay. So essay is kind of, you know, really, really a big deal. Okay. And you you have to, yeah, it's it's sort of a personal essay at undergrad level. You have to write a personal essay. When you go to grad school, you have to write two essays. One is a personal essay, and the second is sort of an academic essay where you write about your research agenda. Mm -hmm. So what you can do is um, you can look at the essays that other people have written, and you can um, think about, read about those essays, and write about and come up with a story of your own life. And you know why is it that you want to go to um, I mean, a very simple reason would be I want to go to the U.S. because the U.S. has better opportunities and I'd be able to get a decent job after that and make some, you know, enough money to live a decent life. But you can't really write this, you know, in the, yeah. in the statement. You have to come mm -hmm. up with different sort of motivations. So you have to figure out on your own what, um, what your motivations are and how that sort of fit into... Uh, that essay, okay. and so I think that, that that's pretty much it. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Uh, so that was uh, that was very too helpful uh, to understand about how those universities actually work on between. One thing I wanted to ask is that as you um, moved into America from Pakistan, and somehow I think Pakistan culture is similar to Indian culture. What differences that you observed? Uh, in America, and while like you live, I guess five years now for in America. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. how do you see, how do you see those them now uh, as you were first entered upon the US? So differences in in terms of what? Oh, uh, um, I mean differences in terms of culture and society, and people in general. Yeah. Um, so I can't really talk about all of America because I live in a very small, you know town in upstate New York. So I can only talk about, you know, Binghamton. Um, and, you know, within Binghamton, I only <laughs> live within uh, within a smaller community of Binghamton um, graduate students. So here the thing is that, you know, the, the biggest thing that I, the biggest difference that I, um, I felt coming, uh, you know, moving from Pakistan to here was, um, was the thing that I talked about earlier. In Pakistan, I had this kind of, you know, pressure that, I have to prove myself, you know, like 
because of the family, because of the friends, colleagues, everybody. And here in the US people, somehow I realized that, you know, um, I don't have to prove myself. I'm already, <laughs> I'm already a smart, uh, smart man or, um, you know, or if not smart, I'm not uh, a dullard. So that's, I, I don't have to prove myself. So that's, that was a lot of, you know, that's, that's been a lot very helpful. Plus the thing is that the US culture, um, the, the, the university culture is is very different. You'll see if you come here, you'll see it's a very different kind of, it's a very different sort of environment. It's you know the the campuses are very decentralized, and uh, there are of course hierarchies, but the hierarchies are not as strictly enforced the way they may have been enforced in in an Indian or Pakistani setting. And like you, you call your professor, not at an undergrad level, but at graduate level, you know, you call your professors by their first name, you know, you use their first name. So, hey, Steve, you don't say, hey, Steve, but you say, Steve, I was thinking about, or, you know, hello, Steve, good morning, Steve. Um, do you have time today to meet up? So that's, that, that, that's very, you know, that's very difficult for somebody like you and I to wrap our heads around because even when we come here, I, I am not called my uh, dissertation director um, using her first name ever in, in in the last four or five years. I have not I have not been able to bring myself to it. So I always go with professor and last name. So you know, and one th one re one of the reasons is that I want to keep the conversation professional, and I want to you know um, remind myself that you know don't be uh, don't try to forget don't i remind myself that i should not forget that there is a hierarchy it doesn't doesn't mean if i i can call somebody using their first name it doesn't mean they're no longer my boss they're still my boss mm -hmm. so that's yeah, that's something that you know people uh, from or at least i had some you know difficulty coming to terms with but you know it's it's fine it's not that um, but but the with with laws and you know with um with other things, you have to sort of uh, be mindful of that. So one of the things that I remember when I came here was that in our orientation, the uh, the International Students Association, um, I, ISSS, they call themselves IISSS, International Students and Scholars something. Um, so they said that, you know, uh, the laws about sexual harassment are very very strict so um uh, uh that uh, the presenter told us that you know if a man if you as a man or if if a, if a woman accuses you of sexual harassment so the university police in our campus the university police would straight away put you in a cell they would not ask if you've done it or not they would just you up and you know put you behind bars and then they will ask you yes gentlemen did you do it or not so that, that was yeah that, that's very you know that's very um that's very strict it's, of course campus has imposed its policies um in um in terms of you know as much as people like to you know 
not deny it, but you know, as much as people like to ignore it, there's still a lot of racism, and there's still a lot of you know um, uh, racism and xenophobia in, in the U.S. But that you know, you you have to you have to learn to negotiate how to how to go about that. Sure. So that's where you know the the thing about privilege comes comes back in. In Pakistan, I didn't have this problem. I, I was I was a young male, straight male, and you know I was the most I was among the most privileged section of the society. And here in the U.S., I was not. I am not. So mm. you have to sort of <laughs> reorient yourself. Um, yeah. So, how about you? You you want to add in something? Yeah, so one of the things uh, I feel is that, like, as you said, that you were very focused on proving yourself back in Pakistan and you and, and in US, you don't care about that. I think, uh, like, I don't know, but I think India and Asian cultures in general, uh, the families of the people are so much connected and, and, and they do care about each, like, they like it's a matter of competition within the families that, uh, you know, your, your, your kid is going to that school or that school. And it's just so much of a comparison between uh, the internal co internal comparisons in these Asian societies. I don't know about Pakistan, but India, it happens a lot uh, that people specifically do the things just because they look good. And I think what I heard watching movies in America and listening to people is that as the, the people there are more individualistic as compared to more societal, like, like uh, in, in Asian cultures, you'll find people of a similar demographic thinking the same way, but uh, I don't know, but is it like people in America think uh, more individually, uh, something, can you you observe something like that? Yeah, so what I, what I would say about this is that first, you know, you have to, you'll have to, or at least I had to, I had to recognize the fact that after coming to grad school, I had to recognize the fact that I cannot talk about people or I cannot talk about anything for that matter in stereotypes. You know, the thing is that I cannot talk about like in Pakistan, uh, there's a lot of pressure to prove myself. Um, in Pakistan, there was a lot of pressure to prove myself that I found, you know, there were many other people with me, many of the young men who didn't have that kind of pressure. Now, they may have they may have had different reasons for that, you know, uh, maybe they were um, mentally strong or they were brought up in a different manner, and I had that kind of, you know, brought up where I had to prove um, myself, you know, or keep proving myself that I'm a good boy, you know, I'm a, you know, blah blah blah, and many other men, young men growing up, would have had that kind of experience in Pakistan and in India, and many people like that have this kind of pressure here in the US as well. Many people, young girls have a lot of pressure to fit in, you know. Um, uh, young girls, teenage girls have a lot of pressure to um, to look good, you know, to uh, to look beautiful. So so it's, it's not that the, the kind of pressures in the US or, you know, we're in Binghamton, I, they, we don't have uh, people living here would not have that kind of pressure. People would have, uh, but what what we have to be mindful of, the, of is that is the fact that one, that we don't 
talk about a large swath of human population in stereotype. We talk about a particular experience of, you know, of the people that you are familiar with and see if that experience is valuable for others or, or you know, if it's not valuable for others. So th this is one thing. And then, you know, when, when we say Asian culture, I mean, what is Asian cultures? Or, you know, what is um, sort of, you know, what is Indian culture? You know, is Indian, is Indian culture the culture that you um, have experienced living in Kanpur? Or is Indian culture um, something that uh, Mukesh Ambani experiences? I mean, Mukesh Ambani is also an Indian. So, so is, is that Indian culture? Or is what you experience in Kanpur in Indian culture. And so when you realize, when you talk about it and when you think about it, you realize that, you know what, there can be a billion Indian cultures. There can be more than a billion Indian definitions of Indian culture, isn't it? Like uh, if um, the kind of culture that Shah Rukh Khan experiences, is that Indian culture? Or the culture that Manav or Bharat experiences that Indian culture? And so you'll see that Shah Rukh Khan has his own definition of Indian culture, and you have your own definition of Indian culture. And and many on many occasions, you you may find you may end up finding that somebody else is. Let me give you an, another example. So in uh, I I read about uh, caste in India and Pakistan. In in Pakistan more, but uh, because there's a lot less literature available uh, about caste in Pakistan. So is the culture that the Dalits experience in India, is that Indian culture or is the, you know, is the culture that caste Hindus experience, is that Indian culture? So you have to be, you know, you have to be like really able to calibrate your experiences or, you know, your thinking um, moment to moment. And the better you are at it, I think the better you will be able to make sense of the world around you. And once you're able to demystify these things, the better you will be able to find a place for yourself in that world that's a secure place, that's not insecure and where you don't have to be like, you know what, I'm, I have to prove myself. And growing up, you know, uh, the kind of parents that you or I had, you know, we, we come from working class families. And so working class families are, um, I don't know about you, but I, I, I come from a working class family. So working class families are insecure about their economic condition. Working class families are insecure about um, putting food on the table. And then working class families have, you know, are, are, are huge. There's, there's a lot of kids in working class families because, you know, because of various reasons, you know, uh, lack of education for women, you know, uh, lack of responsibility for as as a family altogether so yeah i would just say that you know when we when we talk about these things we we should resist the urge to generalize on a very vast level yeah um, i uh, think that uh, it is a very uh, broad topic and it uh, can't be like uh, summed up into a single definition or like a group of people so um yeah. Um, you you have anything else, Bharat? Or yeah, I think I think I agree with uh, what Mushtaq is saying. Is that uh, like 
you know, experiences differ uh, as there are different economic uh, conditions, social culture, so, social, social, social hierarchies. You, you experience different things and you based your perception about, upon that. And that's really interesting to me. Uh, uh, and yeah, that, 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 was, that was a really something else. Uh, yeah, we can, we can go ahead and ask them. Uh, yeah, so I just wanted to know your uh, opinion on this one topic. So say, uh, for example, you were to go and start a company tomorrow. Uh, uh, would you like to work individually or would you like to work with someone or with a team? Like to set the foundation. Uh, which hmm. would you prefer? That, that's an interesting question. So you'll have, to, as far as I'm concerned, and in my experience, you'll have to work with people, even if you start your own company or if you work for someone else. If you say if you st if you work for someone else, you're of course working with an already established setup and already established hierarchies or whatever. So you're, you have to work with people. But um, say you start your own company of doing anything, you know, you, you, you produce a certain product. So the, the idea here is that, will you be able to take care of everything on your own? And you'll very soon realize in, 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 in a week or so that you can't really do everything on your own. And so you'll have to interact with other people, you'll have to develop relationships, professional relationships, you'll have to hire people. And uh, one of the things that I think um, I have come to realize is that growing up, I had this kind of attitude that I, and I still do that, you know, I'm better off on my own. But then I very soon realized that, you know what, I need other people's opinions. I need other people's inputs. I need other people's, my colleagues, criticisms. So, um, so I can't really work in isolation. So even if you think that, you know, you are going to start your own company very soon, you'll have to come to terms with the fact that you have to work with other people and how can, how can you better work with other people? And once again, I'll go back to what I said earlier, you will be able to work a lot better with other people. If you recognize your own privilege, if you recognize the place you are coming from. And then from out of that awareness, you will recognize that every other person is coming from a certain place of their own privilege or unprivilege. So that will uh, make you a lot more uh, conscientious, um, you know, and a lot more like conscientious would be a good word. Yeah, you'd, you'd be a lot more conscious conscious and conscientious in those relationships professional relationships of course yeah uh, thank you for the insight it's really thank good you. to have uh, someone else's opinion on this <laughs> um you want to add any first or um, i think there's something wrong with yeah this. Oh, yeah so yeah, that was that was really insightful, and I'm just learning about people's like uh, the insights from you. Uh, it really is something that you have to think about. Um, okay, so Manav, do you have uh, the further questions? Yeah, um, 
I can ask on if you have, if you have anything um, specific, you can go ahead and ask. Oh uh, no, I don't have. Yeah, so uh, I think that um, we've had a lot of uh, formal conversation. So I'll ask you a few like one short questions if you don't mind answering them. So um, the first question is uh, if you would uh, uh, describe yourself in say three words, what three words would they be? I can describe myself in, <laughs> in one word. I, I would say that I, I'm, I'm a very determined person. Uh, in what sense? Like, in the sense of like, if I set my mind to, to doing something, you know, um, I'll figure out, you know, um, ways of doing it. And I'm, I'm, and you know, and I'm very patient also. Uh, I'm not as patient as I would would want myself to be, but I'm, I'm, I'm determined and I'm patient. And of course, we are, when you work with other people, you grow up, you re realize, um, you recognize your own limitations, and then you recognize that you know, if you want to do something and you are limited, your um, abilities, you're limited by your abilities. You can always, you know, ask other people and to come on board and work with you. So it's it's not a matter of ego. You know, you don't have to say that, you know, yeah. see what I mean? Like, yeah. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's a teamwork. So, um, and there's a place in the team for me. So that's it. Yeah. Um, the other question is, uh, do you uh, think of yourself as an introvert, extrovert, or an ambivert? Hmm. I'm not really an introvert, but... Um, but I, I have grown, I have taught myself to be a bit, a little choosy in, in terms of people that I would like to interact with. One of the things, <laughs> the thing is that, you know, I don't have that kind of time anymore to, to have a busy social life, but this is, um, you know, I, I try to interact with, you know, a certain type of people now. It's and it's not that I look down upon others or I look up to others. It's just that, you know, I'm writing my dissertation and I have limited amount of time and I can only interact with these many people and on these many things. So I'm not an extrovert, uh, I'm not an introvert, um, mm. but I'm definitely not somebody um, who would just, you know, who would start telling their life story to, to somebody they've met for the first time. Okay. I don't know if that makes sense. Oh, no, it's fine. It made sense. Um, the last question that I have is, uh, what should I have had asked you that I didn't know enough about you to ask? Hmm. That's really... Huh. I don't really have any kind of prescription here in terms of questions. You know, uh, like Bharat mentioned earlier, um, I did a book a few years ago on, you know, on interviews with, um, it was a collection of interviews with Pakistani writers. And I used to have a very prescriptive sort of mindset when I went to interview those writers. And I think, I don't think you, I mean, there is no template for doing what we are doing here. 
isn't it? Yeah, yeah there is potential. There's no right way that you know we we should have done it this way and then it would have been better. And yeah. again, if we if we fall into that trap again, we are falling into the trap of insecurity. That oh, you know, we should have done this that way and it would have been better. So, what we are doing is better <laughs> is is the best. Yeah. So, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if you should have known more about me or whatever you you know i'm getting to know you you're getting to know me it's a process okay as you say yeah yeah definitely and, and one of the uh, one of the motives of the podcast is to actually explore the guests that come to a podcast how how their life experiences shape them as a person so it's truly fruitful like uh, learning about you uh, and it was really really insightful about people learning people's experiences uh, and yeah <laughs> that was thank actually you, thank you yeah thank you very much for inviting me i'm glad to be of uh, any help yeah sure uh, one of the questions i wanted to ask is that uh, you teach on writing and writing is and writing is something that that, that that's not easy uh, and you really have to put your brain into it how do you think a person who writes is different from a person who does not write or in a better way how does writing shapes us or uh, maybe in our critical thinking or maybe in our thinking in general how writing helps us to do that writing so one one thing that you can look at in terms of one one way of looking at writing is not to look at writing as a finished product like one of my writing teachers um Two years ago, I was in a in a in a writing workshop, a week long writing workshop, and I told my writing teacher that you know what? Before coming to the workshop, I had this opinion that if this is a book, it was written the way it is printed, and then I told him that I realized that it was not written the way it was printed. It evolved into this shape. So, one of the things that you have to keep in mind in terms of writing is that. writing is if you look at writing as a process of thinking about thinking and, and as a process to think about a problem then you you can demystify writing and so when i teach writing i tell my students that you have to put your own you have to be able to you should learn to put your own take on things in writing you know if you've read a book you should be able to come up with your own opinions about that book like informed opinions not like trashy opinions not like this is the greatest book i've ever read in my life this is not an opinion it's it's a useless opinion and if say uh, and if somebody says oh this is the most useless book i've read i've ever read in my life equally useless what you have to do is you have to engage with the writing read reread think about it and then write you what how the book has sort of changed the way you look at things and if that happens then you write about that process and so you write one draft then the second draft third draft by the time you've done 10 10 odd drafts you know your mind is very clear that you know this is what i want to put out in the world so i i i teach writing as a process you know and not as a product 
So that's that's quite helpful. That I found very helpful for myself, and many of my students have found helpful too. Definitely, uh, that, that that was a very good that, that was a very good advice because uh, people actually focus like you have to be flexible in writing and you have to look your work with as a third eye, right? I mean, most of the people uh, have so much of uh, ego with, with their work attached to that they, that it's difficult for them to make any changes. <laughs> yeah. So that was very insightful. Um, Manu, do you have any further questions? Uh, I'm out of questions. Yeah. It was it was a wonderful discussion. It was a wonderful conversation. It was it was actually a wonderful conversation uh, to have with you. Uh, wonderful getting to know you, and um, I thank you for like agreeing to come on the podcast. Of course, thank you very much for inviting me. This has been a great conversation. Thank you for being the guest. Uh, we hope to see you somewhere on our next podcast. Oh, sure. Why not? I'd love to. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. Yeah. Bye for now. See you. Yeah. Thank you.